0: Jesus, our heart is yours. My heart is yours, God. We we give it all, Lord. And we want to be here tonight and study a word because we want to learn and we want to grow and we want our lives to belong to you. And so I pray that you go deep into our hearts tonight, Lord, that you sift through, God, all those things that are in there and find the things that shouldn't be in there. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart and see if there are Be any wicked way in, in me, Lord, and help me, God, to walk in your ways. And so I pray that you would sift through our heart, come and fight any selfishness, God, any pride, and that through your word you would surgically remove it and make us humble tonight. So, God, we ask for your blessing and that you would anoint your word tonight by your Holy Spirit. And I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard about this young woman who met with her pastor to talk about one habitual sin she was really worried about. So she sat down with him and told him, Pastor, I've become aware of a sin in my, of a sin in my life which I cannot control. Every time I'm at church, I begin to look around at the other women and I realize that I am the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others can compare with my beauty. She finished by asking, Pastor, what can I do about this sin? Well, the pastor replied and said, Mary, that's not a sin. Why, that's just a mistake. (laughs) Well, tonight in our study in the book of Luke, Jesus gives this parable about the mistake of approaching God in prayer with pride, with the pride of self-righteousness. And so the title of our message tonight is this, The Mistake in Being Self-Righteous. The Mistake in Being Self-Righteous. Now, we're going to pick it up here in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18 and go to verse 14 tonight. So from 9 to 14. and four things we're going to see. We're going to see, number one, the parable of two men. Number two, the pride of the Pharisee. Number three, the prayer of brokenness. And number four, the position of humbleness. So that's our outline tonight. And wrapping it up into our points too, this is what we will be seeing. So first of all, here in the mistake in being self-righteous, uh, number one in our outline, the parable of two men the parable of two men now here we're going to begin with verse 9 and do verse 10 also we'll be covering this but let's let's go ahead and take a look at both of these verses here we begin here luke chapter 18 verse 9 it says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And we'll stop right there. So we begin with Jesus giving another parable here. Remember a parable is a story, this analogy to teach a lesson here. And this one is about, what well, it's told us right here, Luke tells us, it's about those who, some who trusted in themselves that they were so righteous. In others, they thought they're so righteous. They had this self-righteousness thing going on. They felt like they were so good, they're so godly by all the things they do and have done. And so they carried themselves in that way. And it's what we call tonight being self-righteous. So this parable is about this self-righteous one who actually treated others with contempt. In other words, he he put others down. He looked down on others because he thought he was so righteous, so good, so holy. The self-righteous actually think they are higher than others and make themselves really ugly with pride. Uh, J.C. Lavender said, When pride begins, love ceases. And I think that's so true. I think uh, as we're looking at the word here, and we see that uh, these guys, Jesus is telling this parable, because really they thought they were so self-righteous that they treated others with contempt. They put others down. And, and I was thinking about how many times do we do that? Yeah, We put other people down. Down because we think we're a lot better. That maybe we hold to a standard different than others, so we look down on that person, or 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 in our own pride, we think we're better than the other person, or no more, or can do something better. And you gotta understand in this story, uh, the one who feels so self-righteous, it's it's like ingrained into their character, and they're always like that. And I hope that we can search our own hearts and see that. Are we like that? Do we give contempt? Do we look down on others constantly, putting people down? Well, it could be that it's because of pride. And like this guy said, when pride begins, love ceases. So hopefully we can learn from this. Now in verse 10, Jesus gets into this parable. So Jesus tells this parable about Two men they went up to the temple to pray. They went to the Jewish temple there and they went to pray. Now, after our last study a couple weeks ago in the first part of chapter 18, Jesus taught the disciples the important to be the importance of being persistent in prayer. Remember I titled that message, keep on keeping on in prayer. It was to be determined and to to continue to pray and pray no matter what. Well, Jesus continues with this thought of prayer. Here, Jesus teaches on our approach to God in prayer, and it addresses the issue of self-righteousness. So, he gets into verse 10. These two men went up to the temple, and he describes these two men. One of them, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector two men here. These are the the main characters in our parable. Now, first of all, the Pharisee. The Pharisee, as you know, as we've been studying, is a Jewish religious leader. There were the Pharisees, a group of them that were part of the religious ruling uh, a group of people over Israel that Rome allowed them to actually lead Israel spiritually. They were priests, they were scribes, remember, they knew the law in and out. And so they were highly respected and they were considered very holy men. And actually they considered themselves as very holy and godly too. So the first character we have is the Pharisee. The second, Jesus mentions in this parable, the other person is a tax collector. Both of them going up the pray. The second guy is a tax collector. Now, the tax collector, as you can imagine, is the Jewish IRS who works for Rome, basically. Uh, since he sold his soul, so to speak, to the enemy, Rome, right, the 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 jews looked down upon the tax collector they didn't like them they they like betrayed their their race and the other jews and so they ended up being bottom of the social ladder and and for good reasons even i mean they were looked down cuz they weren't very nice people they weren't very moral people now rome required a certain amount of taxes to be collected but they allowed the Jewish tax collectors to go to their own people and collect more for their own profit. It was kind of like part of their pay. But these tax collectors, they all abused their position, and they got rich off of the people. And so these tax collectors were known for uh, extorting people, cheating people. They were liars, and then they lived this lavish, rich lifestyle Partying, having good nice clothes, good places, all built upon uh, uh, the, the monies that they collect on top of the taxes f- that they paid for Rome. So understand this. We have a Pharisee, supposed this holy man, then a tax collector on the lowest part of society, uh, a, a very immoral person. And so there these two were as different as could be, as opposite as could be and they both were found in the temple praying. So the first thing to see is this. The parable of two men is about a religious leader and a despised sinner and their approach to God in prayer. So Jesus sets this whole parable up with this two men, and it's all about their approach to God in prayer. I read about two men who are talking about prayer. One challenged the other by saying, if you think you are more religious than me, Let's hear you quote the Lord's Prayer. 20 bucks says you, you can't. Well, the second guy responded right away. And he said that he quoted the prayer. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's not the Lord's Prayer, right? Well, the first guy grabbed his wallet and said, I didn't think you could do it. They both didn't know. They both claimed to be religious, but they didn't really know. Saying you're religious, right, quote unquote, doesn't mean you know it all and you're okay. And that's what we're going to see unfolding here in this parable with these two men, a religious leader, despised sinner, and their approach to God in prayer. I hope tonight that, we will all learn something about God and something about ourselves. Something about even our approach to God, even how we approach God in prayer. I think that's important. Every time Jesus teaches us something on prayer, it should change us. It should affect us. It should speak to us. It it should change our prayers. And, And if you think you have it together, watch out. Because you may be making the mistake in being self-righteous. So I'm just opening up your heart here. Be open to the Lord. and search your heart as we go through this passage. So we are introduced to this parable of two men and how they approach God. Well, we come to number two now the pride of the Pharisees. So Jesus goes on in in the parable and he's going to show us the pride of the Pharisee. And we're going to look at verse 11 and 12 here. And take a look at both of those verses. Verse 11 says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, prayed, uh, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And we'll stop there. So Jesus now reports on how the Pharisee came to God, how he came praying. Now, first thing we see in verse 11, the Pharisee is standing by himself. Now that's usual for Pharisees to stand in front of everybody to basically pray out loud publicly and here in the temple, really so that everyone could see. He's just standing there off from the crowd, in front of the crowd even, that's the idea. And, and he's, he's just praying loudly and really it's because he wants to be seen, he wants to be center stage. Jesus talked about how not to pray like a Pharisee who, who actually, stand. they like to stand on street corners and in synagogues, and, and they pray actually to be seen and, and, and show how holy they are. Jesus talked about that in Matthew. So here's this Pharisee standing there, apart from the crowd, like front and center stage, and look what he prays, right? He prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like... Other men. I'm not, God, thank you, I'm not like the others, right? It's it's really about boasting how much better he is than others. He's not thanking God like, like God, thank you for, for what you do in my life. He's like, well, God, I gotta thank you, I'm like this, you know. I, you made me better, you know, that kind of thing. And he's really boasting upon himself. And then he gets real specific about who he's better. Uh, than he's better than other men, like the extortioners, the unjust adulterers, um, unjust and adulterers, the, the sinners in society, and even like this tax. Collector. Now perhaps the tax collector is a little bit away from him, but he could see him. We're gonna see the tax collector more in the back, but he can see him and he's like like that guy. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad he's not like the I'm not like the tax collector, kind of giving him that look and all, and basically praying I am so much better than him and all the sinners in the world, and especially him. And then he says, why? He says, why he's so much better? Well, in verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week. Now, the Pharisees were known to fast two times a week, and they would fast on Monday and Thursday understand something the law actually only required everyone to fast once a year on the day of atonement but these guys wanted to to show everybody how holy they are and set apart and you know godly they are that they would actually fast twice a week on monday and thursday and of course monday and thursday happened to be market day Back then and so they go out on the street and Jesus talked about this show, their long faces and see I'm fasting and you know, make themselves look holy. It was all a show so that the crowds would look at them and say, Oh, you're so holy and of course it's Monday and Thursday on Market Day that they would do that. And then he lists that I give tithes of all that I get. And we know the Pharisees were big into tithing, meticulous in their tithing, showing off. They would even count out each little tiny seed and make sure they give their tenth to the Lord. And 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 but Jesus exposed them in Matthew of how they even find some loophole uh, by um, dedicating money to some relative or something or, or this and that. And then, but they would actually keep it for themselves. So they were really conniving and did things for the show. So basically he's praying like I'm better than everyone else and I do so much for good. I'm, I'm godly. I'm holy. But if you look at it his prayer was really, really about himself. About himself. Lewis Byrne said no man can really at one and the same time call attention to himself and glorify God. You can't, right? I mean, you see what he's doing here in Luke chapter 18. He's drawing attention to himself. He's standing kind of in front of the crowd there at the temple. He's talking about himself, his accomplishments, what he does and how godly he is because of those things he does. And he is not really glorifying God. He tries to couch it and, oh God, I'm, I thank you. that I'm not like those guys, you know, that kind of thing. But what we see here is the pride of the Pharisee leaked out of his self-righteous heart when he went to pray. It, it just oozed out of him. This was like that's what he's about. It wasn't like a one-time thing. This was his his ugly character. Yeah, this is what was what he was about. And when he went to pray, it just leaked out his pride and of his selfish righteous heart whenever he. You know, I read about this woman in California meticulously watered her plant for two years. He call, she called it a her beautiful succulent, succulent, and she called it the most perfect plant. And she was real proud of it, and, and she would show it off. But when she saw this vase, a cute vase to her, to be the perfect showcase for her perfect plant, she learned the truth. The truth was the plant she had watered for two years was actually a very good fake. It was a fake. The roots, when she went to uh, replant it, the roots were in... uh, There's no roots. It was fake roots into uh, styrofoam, actually. (laughs) Crazy, huh? She posted on her Facebook uh, page, I feel like the last two years have been a lie. When their story was shared on an Australian indoor plant group on Facebook over there, and many others actually shared their similar, I quote, similar takes of deep-rooted deception. (laughs) A lot of people are watering fake plants. But I'll tell you, this is the deep-rooted deception of the Pharisees. They thought, their prayers are good. They thought they would come and they're they're giving these holy prayers, but it was all all in reality about themselves. That's what it was really about. And this is how they came in. And 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 you know what? The listeners to this parable, the people probably could go, Oh yeah, that's exactly how they pray. That's exactly what they say. And the Pharisees bought in to this deception, it was deep-rooted. And they thought it was okay because they thought they were so godly and they were caught up in that pride. Some come to prayer meetings to show off how great and godly they are. Some, Some go to pray to only talk about themselves and their accomplishments. It's just a platform for them in a prayer meeting. Don't make prayer about what you did. Make prayer about God and what He's done. Prayer should, should bring uh, right our attention to God, not, not you. Sometimes people pray, and, and they try and couch it like, Oh, you know, God, um, I witnessed to so many people, and thank you, this guy got saved, and this other guy got saved, and, 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 and you know, da-da-da. And it's almost like, wait, are you talking about God's power or what you did? And, and sometimes it's confusing, but we should be clear in how we pray that it's about Jesus and not like this Pharisee because it doesn't sound good, right? And, and and we can hear it. People can hear it. And the thing is, sometimes we're so deceived in our own pride. Our pride blinds us and deafens our year, ears to what we're really saying. So watch out when you approach God in this way and you pray. Watch out for the mistake in being self-righteous. So we see the parable of two men the pride of the Pharisee well the parable goes on to number three here the prayer of brokenness the prayer of brokenness now here we're going to cover verse 13 and the first part of verse 14 but first of all verse 13 verse 13 says but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner. We'll stop there. Now, after Jesus shares about the Pharisee, how he came and approached God, now he contrasts this with the tax collector on how he prayed, how the tax collector approached God. And first of all, Jesus says in verse 13, but this tax collector, in contrast, he was standing far off. In other words, he was not there up front. He, he, was, he was probably in the back, yeah? And it really shows how unworthy he felt to really be close to God. And then Jesus says in verse 13 that he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He could not even look toward God. He was so ashamed of his wrongs and the sin that he did that he actually, Jesus said, but beat his breast or beat his chest. In the ancient culture, to pound on your chest was a sign of extreme sorrow. It was was just something they did. So he was very, very sorrowful, very sad. The tax collector was very, very sorry. And and really, you could tell, he was really repenting of his sins. He was in deep anguish for all the wrongs that he's done. I mean, these tax collectors, right, they're extortioners, they cheated, lied, they abused their position. And he felt that conviction, so he's there in the temple, truly anguishing over his sin. And we know that because in verse 13, he beat his breast, his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, he called on God's mercy to come upon him to hear his cry of repentance. To that, that he knew, you know, what he deserved judgment. So that's why he called for mercy, that's why he asked for mercy from God. And then, the best thing of this prayer is, he confessed that I am a sinner. He confessed his sin. He, he admitted his wrong by saying that. there's no excuses here. yeah Well it's just a system. I was just working the system, you know there, there's no explanations. Well I, I grew up in this and you know everyone's kind of doing it. It was just a pure confession and repentance. Yeah, of all the wrong that he did. And and you could just see it how he he's in the back, he won't even look up, he's in anguish here, beating his his chest, he, he's just crying out for mercy and saying, I'm a sinner. Yeah, not blaming anyone, but just taking responsibility. It was a pure confession and repentance. The tax collector. Here, Jesus is showing, pray to God in a true confession, a true confession of his sins. You know, understand in the New Testament, the word confess, in the Greek, it means to admit. It means to openly acknowledge, but it also means to be in accord. In other words, when we confess our sins to God, we agree with God in how he views that action. If God sees it as wrong, as morally wrong, as, as a sin, then our confession is saying, saying, God, we agree with your view. This is a sin. That, that's, that's the really essence of the word confess. It is to admit, admit, to openly acknowledge, to take responsibility. But it's saying, God, I've sinned. You know I've sinned. I see it as you see it, that this is sin. That I see what I did in the same perspective you see it, God. And this is the tax collector. He's saying, I'm a sinner. Some people confess because they, get, they got caught. Yeah. Some say, oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry because they got caught, but they're not really repentant. But true confession is not just being sorry about sin, but seeing sin as bad as how God sees it. That's a true confession, that it's a sin against a holy God. And that kind of repentance, that kind of confession, should make you sorry enough to repent, where you vow not to do it again. That's this tax. Collector, And so Jesus, he explains that. Look in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And we'll stop right there. So because the tax collector expressed his true confession, Jesus is like, I tell you. Let me tell you with my authority. Let me tell you as a son of God what I see here. You know what, this guy, he went back home justified. He went back home forgiven, guilt taken away, guiltless now, and uh, uh, in justification. Remember our word justification? Another way to remember is just as if I never sinned. Yeah. So God forgave this tax collector because of his approach and then he was guiltless, no more condemnation. And he went home justified, just as if he had never sinned. So the tax collector actually left the temple basically made right with God. He, made, he was made right with God. There's no more separation, No nothing between him and God. He was made right because of his approach. Whereas Jesus said, rather than the other... And who's the other guy? There's two men. We had a tax collector and who? The Pharisee. The Pharisee was not justified. Now, it might be some people, Jewish people listening to this going, what? The Pharisee? Those guys are holy men. I mean, that's what they tell us, you know. They walk around like they're holy men. We're supposed to call them and respect them as much. But this religious leader, a Pharisee, uh, high up and up, a guy in in the religious leadership here, a respective holy man, what? He didn't go home justified, but the tax collector did? Why Why was that? Well, you see the difference in the prayer because the Pharisee relied upon his own works, Right. Oh, I tithe. Oh, you know, I, I, I'm coming as a prayer. I'm not like these other guys, right? I fast. I do all this. You know, it's like he's touting and is putting out all his own works, his, and that's his own self-righteousness, which is really pride. And isn't that a sin before God? Pride. So the Pharisee, if you really look at him, the Pharisee was, was really in a sad place. For he was prideful in his rituals, thinking that that made him righteous and good. But actually, it made him prideful and brought sin into his life. And then there was no heart of belief. He, he didn't see himself as a sinner needing God. Uh, he, he didn't even think about God. All we see in his pride, his sin there, he thought about himself, his deeds. So, the Pharisee thought he was justified by his own works, but he wasn't. But the tax collector, notice, he was justified by just coming to God and calling upon God for his mercy. You know what? He was justified by faith. That's the idea. It it, it wasn't anything he did. His works were actually sin, for sure. But he had nothing to offer but coming to God in prayer, in a prayer of faith. Turn over to the right to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and verse, verse 11. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 and... Here we see the Apostle Paul writing verse 11 in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. It's not, oh, we're so good, We've, we we follow the law perfectly. That's what the Pharisees felt. But what it is, is the righteous live by faith. They go to God. Their, their righteousness comes through faith in God's forgiveness, not in what they do. They're justified because of God's forgiveness and pardon. That's how they're made right with God. Turn to the right a little bit more and go to Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 8 and 9, we know these verses. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. But stare at this with your own eyes and not just have me read it for you, but Look along with me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Isn't that amazing? So, Paul writing here saying, How are we saved? By grace, yeah? God's mercy and grace. We have been saved through what? Faith again. We're made right with God through faith. We're justified by faith. We're made righteous because God makes us righteous. And this is not your own doing. It's nothing that we did to merit that forgiveness. Well, I did so much good, so God's going to erase my uh, past sins. No, there's nothing we've done. None of our merits, none none of our trophies of the works that we've done. No, not at all. It is a gift of God. And what does that gift? Salvation through Christ Jesus. Right? He died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, so that he can forgive us now. It's what Christ did, what he did, not what we have done. And so, verse nine, Paul's like, it's not a result of works. Right? It's not of what you you've done. You didn't make it to heaven because of what you did. Yeah. No, it's because of what Christ did, and Christ gets the glory. Not like the Pharisees, well, Pharisee saying, Look what I've done. I fast, I tithe, you know, see, that makes me right with God, and I can go to heaven. I'm holy because of that. No. No, it's not a result of works that we're justified. It's because of what Christ did. Not any deed that we done. And it says in verse 9, so that no one may boast. Right? We can't go to heaven or get into heaven and say, look what I did. This is why I'm here. I'm so good. I did this, right? I paid penance for my sin or I did this or I did that. No, we cannot. Anything we do cannot pay for our sins. Only Christ's blood can pay for all of our sins. And so no one can boast that. No one could be prideful. No one can be like this Pharisee. So back to Luke chapter 18, what we see is the prayer brokenness brokenness is how the tax collector relied totally upon God to be made right with him. The tax collector was at a loss. He had no good works to offer God. He just came at the mercy of God and asked God for help, to have mercy, to forgive him, to save him. That's basically what he was saying when he called out to God to be merciful to him, a sinner. And so that was this prayer of brokenness, is how the tax collector relied totally upon God to be made right with the Lord. You know, it's been said, salvation is not by human achievement, but divine accomplishment. And I like that. I love that saying. It's not our, a human achievement, but it's the accomplishment of what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did in dying for our sins. And that's a truth we need to, to place in the foundation of our lives. It needs to be part of our, 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 our who we are, the fabric of our soul, of who we are as a Christian and a believer. Because, you know what, even Christians get all mixed up about this. Sometimes the thought is, well, oh, well, I know I came to Jesus, I prayed a prayer, and he saved me. But then now after that, it's like, oh, well, i got to do this, i got to do that, and maybe God will still accept me. But it's not that. When you come to Christ and you pray the prayer and Christ comes into your life, you know what, you're saved. You have eternal life, John 3.16, at that time. It's not like, okay well, you're saved up to this point and you've got to do this and this if you really want to get into heaven. It's not that at all. It's not anything we do, but it's what Christ has done. And that's this prayer of brokenness where we come like, not touting what we've done, but like how the tax collector just, he had nowhere else to go, nothing else to do, but totally relied upon God to forgive him, nothing that He done. So, listen, have you been struggling with your sin? Maybe feeling condemned? Maybe feeling like, well, God doesn't love me or or maybe thinking, I don't think God will want me back. The answer is, 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 is that true? No. Yeah. God wants you. God loves you. Uh, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And His blood is how we can be forgiven. It's through that, through what Christ did almost 2,000 years ago. We have to understand that. Search your heart right now. Are, are you wrongly thinking about salvation, the issues of forgiveness and sin, especially after you become a Christian? Are you still thinking, well, oh, I, I blew it yesterday, so today I'm, I'm going to do some extra good things. I'm going to read an extra chapter in my Bible. I'm going to pray a little longer. I'm going to be nicer to, to my spouse, and then, oh, maybe God will accept me now. That's all. That's wrong. That's basing everything on your works. And you know what? It's really saying to Jesus, well, Jesus, Jesus, um, you know, that wasn't enough that you died on the cross. And even though you said it is finished, I'm, I still got to do a little more. Yeah, then, then, then I'll be okay with you. No, no, we cannot. So all we can do is just come to the Lord in this prayer of brokenness to say, God, I can't, help me, forgive me. That's why in First 1 John 1, 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, right? Truly confess, truly come in repentance, truly like... Uh, agree with God and be in accord with God and how He sees what I've done in my sins in the same way. No excuses, yeah? Taking responsibility, confessing them. If you confess, if you're truly repentant like that, you know what? First John 1 9 says, He is faithful. You come to Him that way, God is faithful to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to that. He will forgive because of what Christ did on the cross. But listen, 1 John 1 9 also says he is faithful and just. In other words, God can justly forgive us of our sin, take, make us guiltless, justify us, right? Totally cleanse us from unrighteousness. Why? Because Christ died on the cross. Does that make sense? Because of that. Action because of that act of God, God can now finally, or, or or I say I should say totally, yeah, justly forgive us and totally cleanse us of our sin. That's what First John 9 is saying. So that's how complete the work of the cross was for us. So once you're forgiven. You're forgiven by God, right? We know those scriptures. He remembers my sins no more, right? He separates my sin from me, from the e- as far as the east from the west. You know? And that's, that's like far. If you go west, you're never going to go east. If you go east right around the world, you never go south. It's a good thing he didn't say, well, I separate your sins from north to south, because eventually you're going to go the other. When you go north, all the way to north, you're going to turn around and go south, right? But that means you're forgiven. That means it's done. That means God does not remember anymore. Or we should say, I I always think, wait, God, you you know everything. How could you not remember? Well, the idea he does not hold that against you anymore. It's like it never happened. You're justified just as if you never sinned. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we have problems of trying to forget people's sins against us. yeah. But imagine a holy God who knows everything. It's under the blood now. Amen? It's under the blood. Years ago, a wealthy man from England was driving his Royce through the Alps. And the front spring snapped while he made a turn at a high speed. And after limping into the near Swiss town, he called... Uh, Royce Royce in England, and the next day, a company rep came and replaced the spring. Then he continued on in his little driving vacation. Well, when he got back to England, he wondered if there was a bill coming. He called Rolls Royce, Royce to check for records, and it's like, um, you know, I never got a bill. Maybe check your records for Swiss repair of broken spring. Uh, uh, so they went and looked, but then this Rolls Royce manager came on the line, and told him, There must be a mistake, sir. There is no such thing as a broken spring on the Rose Royce. <laughs> but that's how it is for us in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? I feel so unworthy, you know, even talking about this. I'm a sinner. Yeah, we can come to God and, and we, we 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 pray in brokenness and and God forgives us we come to him saying God I can't I can't do anything and he says I can because the father says my son died on the cross for you so stop condemning yourself don't allow the enemy to bring you to that place where you think oh, I'm unworthy so much that uh, God, God's tired of me now I've failed him too many times God, but he, he doesn't want anything to do with me that's wrong and don't carry yourself like well, I'm I'm so good, yeah, God has to accept me because that, the, that's the mistake in being self-righteous so, number one, the parable of two men number two, the pride of the Pharisee number three, the prayer of brokenness let's go to number four The position of humbleness. The position of humbleness. And this is just the last part of verse 14. Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So lastly, Jesus really gives this principle that everyone who exalts himself will be humble, like the Pharisee, right? Who thought himself to be something. So self-righteous. You know, in the eyes of God, he thinks he's so great. Uh, but he's wrong. yeah He's wrong. He's, he, he, he's actually put down in this story and in this story really reflects the reality that he is not righteous and he is humble in this story shown. Uh, his pride exposed. He thinks he's right with God, but he's not right with God. He thinks he has it all together, but he doesn't have it together. And that truth comes out, and so he's humble. But, Jesus is the one who humbles himself, like this tax collector, right? The honest, sincere sinner, he will be exalted. The one who comes to God in that brokenness over his or her sin, knowing they can't do anything to change it, that is the one God forgives and lifts up and He goes home justified. So the one who humbly comes to God in brokenness over sin will find that relationship restored with God. And when you reproach God in that way, you're going to find Him. You really will. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And that's the tax collector here, right? That That's how we approach God. He, he had nothing. He was brokenhearted. He was crushed by his sin. So our last point tonight is this. The position of humbleness is the right approach for when you show God how much you need Him, you find Him. When you totally rely upon Him, when you totally say, God, there's nothing else. When you come in that brokenness, that's when you... Find him and you're restored to him and you are justified and forgiven. Someone wrote this poem about this parable. They said, Two men went to pray, or rather say, One went to brag, the other to pray. One stands up close and tread on high, While the other dare not send his eye. One nearer to the altar trod, The other to the altar's God. I love that. The tax collector got right there and found God in his life. So understand this clearly. This is not what you do, but it's what Jesus did that will make you right with God. So don't be deceived into thinking that it's you or about you, but it needs to be about Jesus and what he's done. So stay humble and you'll find God. Or be proud and you know what? You'll be humble. You will be humble. Sadly, though, there is this wrong thinking in this world. Years ago, 7,000 Christian youths from many denominations were polled asking some questions. And one of them was, is the way to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to live a good life? Well, more than 60% agree. Now, after what we learn, what would you say? No, that's not true. That's not what's in the Bible. And I think that Enemies, the devil wants you to get mixed up yeah, in all of this and think that, oh, I got to do this, I got to follow this. And then you, un- you start to fall under what we call legalism, which becomes a burden. Another question to these 7,000 Christian youth was Is the main emphasis of the gospel on God's rules for right living? More than 50% said yes. Now after we will learn tonight, with what we learned tonight, what, is that right? No, the gospel is about what Christ did, not on our good living, right? So don't get mixed up here and don't deceive yourself. God did not ask you to behave to be saved, but God asked you to believe to be saved. I'll close with this. Um, early on in uh, Martin Luther, who is the father of the Reformation, right? Uh, when, when he first, uh, back then they call it secular life and, and, and to really be a Christian or believer, so to speak, you, you became a monk or you became a nun. So he, he had this epiphany event and so he decided to become a monk. So he dedicated his life to the Lord and with that he became a monk. Uh, Five years later he was um, sent to Rome uh, or he went to Rome to try and pay penance for his sins. Now, understand by this time uh, uh, Martin Luther was a monk, he was this priest, he was a scholar, he was actually teaching um, in a a seminary, so to speak, back then to raise a priest. He, He was teaching the Book of Romans at this time. And that was really the beginning of colleges, actually. Our modern college today was actually a seminary where priests were being schooled in, in in the Bible. Well, anyway, he, he was like this teacher, everything, and so he went to Rome to, as many people do, pay penance for sins. Well, in the Church of St. John uh, Lateran in Rome, there's a set of medieval stone stairs said to have originally been the stairs leading up to Pilate's house in Jerusalem. Uh, once where once Jesus had walked up. So uh, for this reason, uh, um, even to this day, many go there and they go to this this stairway called the Scala Sancta or Holy Stairs. And And it was a custom for pilgrims and just like Luther back then to ascend these steps on your knees and you pray as you go up these steps. So your knees get all raw and everything. These are stone steps. At certain interval, intervals or or certain steps, there are stains, and they said to have been caused by the bleeding wounds of Christ there on the certain steps. And you would stop and you pray a long time, and and then you you continue on painfully on your knees. And if you got to the top and you prayed and everything, uh, there would be. Uh, remission of years of punishment in purgatory that was promised if you you perform this ritual exercise. Well, here's Luther, in Rome, in this very place, and so he began as others did. He ascended the staircase, then all of a sudden came into his mind, "The just shall live by faith." Now remember, he he had been teaching Romans and reading Romans, and and there's a there, actually that comes from Romans and from um, the Old Testament but Paul really jumped on that right? so the just shall live by faith comes to his mind the just shall live by faith those words seem to echo over and over again growing louder louder and louder the just shall live by faith the just shall live by faith but Luther was realizing that he was not living by faith he was living by fear The old superstitious doctrines and and, and, uh, opposed to the Bible and biblical theology was wrestling inside him. There was a fight battle going on. By fear, said Luther. By faith, said Paul, the apostle. By fear, said the scholastic fathers of medieval Catholicism. By faith, said the scriptures, By fear, said those who agonized beside him on the staircase. By faith said God the Father. At last Luther rose in amazement from the steps from which he had been dragging himself and, and and he he just shook at the superstition and folly and he realized that God had saved him by the righteousness of Christ, received by faith and are to live by trusting in God. And he stood up, he slowly turned uh, 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 turned around on Pilate's staircase and went back to the bottom. He went back home. And with that, the truth in the Bible changed the church that we have today. It brought the church really back to what true salvation is about. And that's the the Reformation, the Protestant movement. Yeah, And Martin Luther was persecuted for a stand and everything, but he made a stand to believe in the Bible and what the word of God says, that that the just shall live by faith. And we're we're part of that. We're we're Protestants basically. Yeah. Because he went back to the Bible. So understand that we are part of this legacy in understanding what's going on here. We we are 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 to believe and to trust in and hold on to what Jesus said in this parable today. We cannot justify ourselves. We cannot think that we're something. We cannot approach God with our own works only through Jesus Christ. So, search your heart, you guys. Lay down that pride. Yeah. Lay down that self-righteousness, that Brings contempt on others. Let's be humble before God. Humble with one another. Because we're all saved the same way. Through the righteousness of Christ. And the just shall live by faith. Let's not make the mistake we see with the Pharisee. The mistake in being self-righteous. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to a close here tonight in These truths are so amazing to me. They're so deep. They're so wonderful, God. It frees me from my own legalism. It frees me from my own works and trying to be accepted by you, God, but I already am in Jesus Christ. And Lord, what a wonderful truth that is. So help me, God, to to not get caught up in my own self-condemnation or when the enemy pushes hard and wants me to give up and Think wrong thoughts about you, God, but help me to go to the Word and see that you love me with an everlasting love. That even when I'm unfaithful to you, you are faithful, as Paul said in Timothy. God, that you love me and you love each one of us and you're here for us. And Jesus, when you died on the cross, oh Lord, you didn't just die for the sins of my past, but You died for my sins of the present and the sins of the future that I'm going to commit. And it's not an excuse for sin to abuse your grace, but it is to understand that we are covered. And when your word promises that if we confess our sins, your faith will just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that promise is true. So, Lord, we lay ourselves before you right now. And as you search our hearts, God, if there's anything in the foundation of our beliefs that that is wrong, that is false, Lord, pluck it out that we may have this rock of salvation, this rock of truth of what you have done, Lord Jesus. And with that, may we, even in our failures and our stumbling, may you come and pick us up and may we, we, you dust us off and may we get going again knowing that we live a resurrected life, a life where Jesus lives in us and we live by faith, God, in the Son of God who died for me. So, Lord, even as we come now to worship you tonight and we're in this Christmas time, Lord, that's why you came. God, You were born to die for our sins. Help us to understand, Lord. Thank you that we are made righteous by you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's all.